Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. and welcome to Ohio Mysteries. This is our 10-minute mystery edition, a little slice of intrigue in the middle of your week. I am your co-host, Steve Yoder, and with me is our storyteller and journalist, Paula Slice. Hi, everybody. Tonight, we're going to Stark County. Now, the county seat there, of course, is Canton, and the second largest city is Massillon, a blue-collar steel town of about 32,000 folks who biggest claim to fame is, Steve, you want to take a guess? Yeah, uh, Massillon High School Tiger football. (laughs) You got it. You know, they've got like a couple dozen state championships and an alumni filled with pro football heroes. The Tigers are thought of as one of the best high school football programs in the country. This story is not about that. Unfortunately, we're taking you to a very dark year in the history of the Massillon area and its neighbor to the east. Tonight, we're going to the summer of 1963, when the residents of a seven-square-mile that stretched from Canton to Massillon had been bombarded with one bizarre headline after another. It started in March that year. The county organized this massive and sensational vice raid on houses of prostitution. It was a sweeping night of arrests that even took city officials by surprise because they didn't tell them. These were houses that were operated by organized crime, and there was always this underlying fear that some politicians might be in someone's pocket, and they didn't want them warning anyone. Then the month after that sensational event, the charred remains of an itinerant named Howard Riddle was found in his flaming car off a lonely road just west of Massillon's border. The news dominated the headlines, especially because the chief suspect that was picked up at the time was somebody who was very active in community affairs. And then in August, off the southeast border of Massillon, Another murder that authorities figured must have been a gangland execution of a local hood. He was a racket figure named Dominic Molo, linked to the Youngstown underworld. And he was executed with a shot to the back of the head, his body stuffed into the trunk of his own car, and again, the car set on fire. Newspapers in 1963 saw this part of Stark County as a community on the edge. 
but the worst was yet to come. Because as tense as an organized crime bloodbath could be, it cannot compare to the unexpected brutal violence in a typical and otherwise peaceful family home. In Perry Township, just southeast of the Maslin border, Harold Haig Jr. and his wife were raising their young family. They had a one-year-old Kimberly, a two-year-old Karen, and a four-year-old Kathy. They lived in a one-story bungalow on Floral Street Southwest, a gravel road where there were probably no more than half a dozen homes, each separated by at least 100 yards. Harold and his wife both worked, so they needed a full-time babysitter who could be with their little ones five days a week. And since their youngsters were preschoolers, someone who was not in school herself, and they found a willing caregiver in Sandra K. Young. Sandra was the 20-year-old daughter of Walter Young. He was the president of the Canton Local School Board. She had supported herself as a telephone solicitor until landing the new job with the Hags. She was a faithful churchgoer, had no romantic entanglements, and she lived at the YWCA in Canton. That proved to be pretty convenient because there was a bus stop right there which she could use for her commute to the Hague house. The Hagues hired her on September 4. It was a Wednesday. She started the next day, and on Monday, September 9, she arrived at the Hague house, prepared to begin her first full week. The Hagues went to work that day and returned home together at 5.30 p.m. There is nothing that could have prepared them for what they found. They walked into the home and saw blood on the walls leading from the kitchen into the hall, then into the living room, where Sandra K. Young lay dead on the floor, a bloody knife from their own kitchen next to her. The three girls Sandra had been babysitting were fine. Whatever had happened, they had managed to nap through it. Without their little eyes to help put this picture together, and thank God they didn't see it, it was up to the Stark County Sheriff investigators and the coroner's office to figure out what had happened. An autopsy revealed Sandra Kay had been shot twice in the head above the right eye at close range with a 32 caliber pistol. Another shot missed and hit the wall. She had also been beaten. Three teeth were knocked out. And she had been stabbed twice in the left side of her neck, severely slashed across the mouth, and cut along her fingertips. Clearly, a terrific struggle had taken place. But why? The Hags could find nothing missing. It didn't appear to be a robbery. Sandra Kay had not been sexually assaulted. There was no sign of forced entry into the house. Sandra's parents said they didn't have trouble with anyone. Sandra didn't even have a boyfriend. The motive was a complete mystery. Chief Deputy Leo Kelly of the Stark County Sheriff's Department said, We think it's very unlikely that the culprit was a total stranger. He knew her and she knew him. Their theory was that Sandra Kay was originally the one to reach for the knife in the kitchen, 
probably to defend herself, but that it had been turned against her. If deputies could only figure out the why, they would take a big step toward figuring out the who. Deputies hoped maybe neighbors had heard or saw something. The closest family was 200 yards away. Nobody heard any gunshots. But they found someone who did see something. A 19-year-old woman, Linda Miskimmon, who lived near the Hague's, said she saw a late model car leaving the Hague house about 3 p.m. An alert was issued for a 1961 or 1962 car, maybe a Pontiac, Mercury, or Oldsmobile. It was light in color. The witness called it a dirty beige. And it was driven by a man who was slight of build, dark in complexion, wore a white open-collar short-sleeve shirt, and a short-brimmed hat with a wide band and a feather in it. The witness said she watched as the car backed into the Hague's driveway. It stayed for a few minutes, then left at a high rate of speed. She said she and her husband briefly wondered about that car because they knew the babysitter was alone with the three children. There was a brief time investigators thought they might have had another big clue. Because the day after the slaying, someone called to report that clothing had been discarded on Harsh Avenue Southeast near Kalen Street Southeast. This was not far from Maslin's Tiger Stadium. The clothing, part of a torn shirt and trousers, was soaked with water and lying in a ditch. This was two miles north of the murder scene, but Harsh Avenue Southeast, it would have been the best and quickest route away from that murder scene. So it made sense. Specialists scour the clothing for evidence, especially because there were some dark spots on it. But if they found anything, it was never publicly reported. In the first 24 hours, deputies interviewed 15 men and women who knew Sandra Kay well, trying to understand her life, looking for any cracks in it that might lead them to a suspect. Deputies reported her friends were very helpful. They were nice, truthful, and honest. None of them were suspects. There might have been something else about Sandra Kay that was or wasn't necessarily connected to the crime, but it was vaguely referenced in a couple of news reports. One story said she was afflicted by two rare diseases. But then the story dropped it and didn't explain it any further, almost as if the paper had maybe intended to leave it out completely, but forgot to edit that mention of it. Another report said she was living at the YWCA on doctor's orders because the doctor wanted her near the bus stop for her commute to the Hague House. Again, no explanation at all of why a doctor would be weighing in on that. The sheriff said there were several men from his department voluntarily working their days off to try and solve this one, but the case grew cold. If if investigators ever got close, it wasn't common knowledge. In March of 1964, deputies cast an eye toward neighboring Summit County, where their counterparts were trying to solve the two-year-old murder of Marion Brubaker. She was a 12-year-old who was pulled from her bike as she rode through a small patch of woods in Coventry on her way home from the library 
and then strangled to death. A 49-year-old man from Hubbard named William Lewis had been interrogated by detectives and after a couple of days confessed to Marion's murder. So Stark deputies drove north to see if this Lewis guy wanted to cop to another murder, maybe their own Sandra K. Young. But in the end, Lewis was placed in a mental institution, deemed insane, and determined not to have committed any murder. That wasn't the first time or the last time that Stark sheriff deputies would chase a suspect from another case, but nothing came from any of them. I poured over newspapers for the next five decades and couldn't find hardly any mention of the murder of Sandra K. Young again. You know, a lot of times in these cases, there's a first anniversary remembrance and a second anniversary and a fifth, a tenth, a twentieth cold case review in the newspapers. At least in the newspapers that I had access to, I couldn't find any mention of her again. It was quite sad to see her story fade from the public. But it didn't fade from the Stark County Sheriff's Department. I called them just to see if they had perhaps solved this and I was missing something. But a very nice detective there said, nope, it's still unsolved and still something they think about from time to time. This detective said he pulled Sandra K. Young's file not long ago and took another look at it just in case there was something there that time would have benefited. I just think it's somebody who had to have known her you know, there's nothing taken. That's that's just my thought. Yeah, the idea of somebody just randomly picking that house out, running in, stabbing her and beating her, running out. And the beating part, you know, that's kind of personal. And the, you know, stabbed, shot and beaten, that sounds very personal. So right. I wonder if there might have been some connection to where she was staying in the Y or the bus that she was taking. You know, those are scenarios that put you around strangers. And any, I think any time you're surrounded by a group of strangers, there's a risk that there's a nutcase in there. Right. All right. Well, that's it for our midweek 10-minute mystery. We'll see you here Sunday for our next regular full-sized Ohio mystery episode. In the meantime, enjoy the rest of your week, and may all of your mysteries have happy endings. Hello, my name is Peter Zablocki, and I'm a historian, author, and college professor. I'm thrilled to invite you to check out Evergreen Network's History Shorts podcast. 
Every Tuesday and Thursday, join me on a journey through time, exploring the little-known and hidden gems of history. In each bite-sized episode, I'll dive into my original research to bring you intriguing historical curiosities you've probably never heard of, uncovering the fascinating stories that have shaped our world, from forgotten figures to overlooked events. And the best part? I've condensed all this historical goodness into manageable chunks, perfect for your on-the-go lifestyle. Whether you're commuting to work or squeezing in a quick break, History Shorts fits into the little time you probably think you don't have. Subscribe now and never miss an episode of the History Shorts podcast, available wherever you get your podcasts.